As a reminder to all of our Empaths Without Borders listeners out there, Sarah and I are not mental health professionals. Although we're professional in other ways. <laughs> and this podcast is not meant to be clinical advice. Uh, this is just our own perspective and our own inner work that we have done. And we hope that you enjoy regardless. And welcome back to Empaths Without Borders, the podcast where we make your problems our problems. I'm one of your hosts, hosts, Gen C. And I'm Sarah. Also, okay, I noticed when I was listening to these that um, I think I say my own name differently than <laughs> what I normally do. What? <laughs> I think I say like Gen C on these, but it's really like, I probably more often than not say like, Gen C. Gen C. But I'm like, it's Gen C. Like it's more intentional. I don't know. <laughs> I I I'm just like a weirdo. Um why don't you spell your name for our listeners? Oh, it's um J-E-N-C-E-E. E. Yes. It's a made-up name um that my sisters named me. <laughs> Well, they could have done a lot worse, so. They could have done a lot worse. I mean, it was an 11, a 10, and an eight-year-old, so. (laughs) Although, like, according to my mother, the name that she wanted to name me, well, she wanted to name me Tia Marie, but we had to be J's, because all of us are J's. Um, And then she wanted to do Jet Winona, which I think that's a cool name. Like, (laughs) I would have loved to be Jet Winona, and I could totally pull it off. Um, Winona, by the way, after Winona Judd, which I think is hilarious. Right. Um, but anyways, so they were like, no, you can't name her that my sisters and they, my mom, my mom let them pick my name, um, which is fun. (laughs) Could you imagine (laughs) Sawyer picking like Grady's name or Axel's name? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What do you want to talk about today? So I can't remember which episode. I mean, we keep like a running list of topics whenever they come up because as I'm sure you guys have all noticed, all of our listeners have noticed, we go on lots of tangents. Um, But I think that tangents are good because it feels to me, I guess it feels more like an actual conversation (laughs) rather than us just trying to get to all these points. Also, like the dislike of tangents is... um, a very like patriarchal thing it's like if you're not on task mm. then you're not being productive and I think that these podcasts are productive with the tangents I think yeah. that they are very good so um at one point we started talking about like anxiety and kind of sleep issues and I think that you specifically wanted to talk about anxiety today yes so I guess you had, you had some things that you wanted to touch on and I think we can probably go from there. Yeah. So maybe sharing a little bit about our own experiences with anxiety. Ooh, yes. In the lens of being an empath is a good place to start. And then kind of how I shifted out of 
anxiety. And then when it does come up, what I, what I do about it. So I've learned a lot over the past few years. And I think in my past, especially childhood, early adulthood, and then having kids, I had always struggled more with depression, just kind of the low energy sadness. Um, I would have probably what I consider postpartum depression, only it would come at about six months and not after I had a baby. Um, so I hadn't really had a lot of experience with anxiety until a few years ago. And all of a sudden I was realizing that I was noticing the majority of my day, like probably 12 to 16 hours a day, I felt like I was literally in the fight or flight response. Like my heart was beating fast. I was in a panic most of the time, just feeling very stressed and like anxious. And I really didn't want to dive into it. So especially with my background with nutrition, I was like, well, maybe it's a nutritional deficiency and I can kind of avoid dealing with the problem um, by just like, maybe it's foods I'm eating or like a few podcasts ago, we talked about coffee and how that can trigger anxiety. And so I really wanted to like, oh, maybe there's something biophysically wrong with me. So I went down that rabbit hole for a while and like cut out foods and did all this stuff. And it didn't really help because I think deep down, I knew what the problem was, but I just didn't, that was too much. And a lot of people that I know that deal with anxiety, they're like literally dealing with anxiety. It's like, oh, all of a sudden it's something you have. Like I have anxiety that I have to just manage or cope with or figure like when I hear the word coping with anxiety, I tend to think like, I have to figure out how I can live with this happening. And what I didn't realize is that it was kind of my body's way of telling me something was really out, out of sync for me. And I had to deal with it instead of like something wrong with me. It was like, mm -hmm. that's your body's way of telling you something's <clears throat> happening that you need to fix. Okay. So. That's kind of my experience. And once I figured that out, um, it's changed the way I look at anxiety. And when it does come back, I instantly know, like, I'm not listening to myself, basically, is the message. Yeah. Okay. <coughs> Sorry. And really, depression's the same thing, right? Like, <sighs> throughout my research and stuff about depression and mental illness and things like that, I found very little evidence that it's actually a physical deficiency or that you have to like, um, I mean, it can be a nutrition, nutritional deficiency, but nine times out of 10, there's something going on that happened to you, a trauma, a death, something big that happened to you, but we want to you know, our society is all about the magic pill. Like, well, that's too hard to deal with. You know, I've heard stories of like someone in your family dies and you're having trouble coping. So your doctor prescribes you an antidepressant. Well, yeah, I think that that's like, that's, well, that's just not chill all, all around. Um, I do think that there, there's, 
I think it's a both and situation. I mm-hmm. think that there's, um, cause there's some people who have a genetic predisposition to depression and whether or not, cause I, cause I do understand that there's things like, um, crap, what's it called? <laughs> Epigenetics, yes. right. Or even just like by, by being around a caregiver that is experiencing depression that can like impact you and Mm -hmm. make it more likely that you're going to also experience depression. And I do think that if we look at, um, depression and anxiety, like what happens with the brain chemicals in our, like in our synapses, I think that it's, there's a lot of compelling evidence that shows that there's something going on in the brain. And I think it's like a both and situation where a lot of that's a lot of that is being like triggered by outside things like environment, environmental things. Yeah. It's the same, like the book we've talked about that I'm reading the, the, but when the body says no, like the stress disease connection, it's like, absolutely. The environment can actually cause physical ramifications. Mm -hmm. But when we then just address the physical ramifications, we're not addressing why that happened. Yeah. Also, so I just you could get, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You could get so anxious that you literally cause your body to disease. Mm-hmm. And it's not just in your head. Like that's when you're Sarah destroying your organs. That's when Sarah texted me. She's like, <laughs> she's like, there's this really fascinating book that I'm reading. And I was like, oh yeah, like, tell me about it. And she was like, well, basically if we don't de-stress ourselves, we're going to die. I was like, Sarah, that's a terrible message. I'm reading this chapter right now on certain cancers that when they study them against other cancers, like there's, there's a similarity to to people and how they um, repress their emotions. Mm, Interesting. And so it's not like across the board. And like, one of my things was like, well, don't we all do that? Or we all grew up in homes that we weren't like in ways unhealthy, but they were actually looking like they were eliminating that factor. And like certain, there's certain types of cancers that manifest more with repressed emotions. I'd really like to like, I think I should read this book. I don't know when I'm going to, I don't have like any time to read books for pleasure anymore. (laughs) Cause I have like the longest list of books that I have to read. <laughs> Just like I like, and every time I go into a new class, you know, there's always like an icebreaker question. Like what book, what book did you read this right. summer? That was like really good. Or what's something that you recommend to everybody? And everybody always suggests a book. I'm like, that sounds really cool. That sounds interesting. I put it on my list and I have probably like a list of like a hundred books that I have to read now. <laughs> Yes, but I would like I would like to see because I I guess I'm interested to see, um. I guess like to figure out whether or not there's like causation versus correlation and like effect because there's like this thing called like effect modification like how that I I would just be really interested to see the yeah. chapter um and read about it myself yeah. but um. I'm also, I just want to like, I just want to like preface this again. Like I'm going to put the disclaimer at the beginning of this, like Sarah and I are not psychologists. We're not like mental health professionals yet. 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 Um, that's what I'm going to school for. (laughs) Um, just our own experiences and what we're learning and what works for us. Yes, absolutely. 
And, and so, also another disclaimer that um, I do recognize that there's things like bipolar disorder that um, don't necessarily, like they're not is triggered by environmental things. Like there's a very, very heavy, like genetic component to things right. like bipolar. Um, or like schizophrenia, like schizophrenia. You can't. And then there's, again, also not to dismiss like actual deficiencies. Like if you're low in vitamin D, like you're more likely to be depressed. If you have, you know, there's clearly Gosh. things in our environment, but yes, by and large, things like anxiety or depression are emotional things that some things happen to you that you're not willing to look at. Mm -hmm. And then they manifest in anxiety and depression. So at some point I feel like I should talk about, um, cause I, I don't know. I have like a really, we've talked to, like, I've talked to you, Sarah, about, um, some of my issues. Like I just have like, I'm just always tired. I have like just really bad fatigue. And, um, I'd always been told like, I, like it seemed to change every single time that I would go into the doctor, right? Mm. Like it would be like, I would go into the doctor and they'd be like, like as a 16 year old, like what 16 year old experiences that much fatigue? <laughs> mm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I like, they're like, oh, you're just low on iron. Cause it's really common for like 16 to 23 year olds to be low on iron. Mm -hmm. Right. So then it's like, okay, so have some iron. And then I was still really tired. And it's like, oh, it's because you live in a place where you don't get much sunlight. So you have to have some vitamin D or like, oh, here's my little, like light, my little seasonal depressive, <laughs> my seasonal <laughs> affective disorder light that I have back yeah. here. Um, and then, you know, I was still really tired and then it was like, okay, so maybe it's actually vitamin B12. Like there's all these different vitamins that mm -hmm. can cause different, can cause like the same symptoms. And, right. um, finally, like this last year in 2020, and we can have a whole different podcast about like that stuff, but I finally like found a doctor, which I'm really sad that I don't live in Laram anymore because I loved her so much. She was a, um, like she was a, I guess she is, um, she's a nurse practitioner OB and I loved her so much. Like, mm. um, she was great. Um, cause I was like, I was like having like some like really bad fatigue as normal. I feel like I don't have that much hair to begin with, but it was like falling out, like at alarming rates. I was like, what is going on? And then what was the other, what was the other thing? Oh, like in the span of like two months, I had gained like 35 pounds. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not super concerned about the actual like number on the scale or like the fact that I, I mean, I'm not concerned about like my weight or my appearance, but it was alarming that it was so quickly, that mm -hmm. it was like so quick. And she was finally like, okay, we're going to take some, we're going to take some blood work. And so we did blood work and they found that I had no discernible level levels of vitamin D or vitamin B12 in my blood serum. Oh my gosh. Like, no, like no discernible. Like they're like, we can't even detect any. <laughs> wow. Which is really yeah. bad, right? Yes. Really, that's really bad. But also I had really out of whack th thyroid hormones, um, but to the point, but not to the point where like an endocrinologist would have actually like 
diagnosed me with hypothyroidism right. which sucks like when if I'm ha- yeah we can do a whole podcast on clinical clinical versus functional exactly but anyways I was going to talk about my issues with anxiety but that does kind of play into it because I think that if we think about um and we'll talk about sleep some more as well but if we think about sleep and if you are like so fatigued that you're not actually feeling rested that in and of itself is like one of the things that always caused me lots of anxiety Mm -hmm. like I just always felt like um if I wasn't do if I wasn't being productive if I wasn't talking about art at the very beginning of the podcast right like this idea of like productivity if I wasn't being productive if I was like too tired and I needed to sleep more if I you know just mm-hmm. so exhausted that I felt like I needed to catch up on sleep but then I felt like I couldn't do that because then I wasn't being productive right um and you know there was like a point in I feel like I've always like had like some level of anxiety um and you know after really considering my anxiety I think that a lot of it comes from this idea of uh wanting to be at a certain I guess like present at a certain level to people like people Mm -hmm. who are important to my life I was like I I can't like disappoint them I need to be the best that I can be Mm. and it never really felt like um it never really felt like I could actually get there it seemed like it was like an impossible level that I was trying to achieve and so I was always like trying to work and work and work and Mm. um I think that that's where a lot of my anxiety comes from is this idea that I I'm like not good enough or I'm not succeeding as much I'm like not meeting the potential my potential I guess right which is like just a really toxic mindset to have just in general and like not only that but it was like definitely reinforced by just society in general Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like well this plays into the one we did on judgment yes self-judgment and then well there's actual judgment out there but it's all internal messaging that we receive and then tell ourselves and you know it sucks to have happen and it sucks that then you're responsible to fix it (laughs) but yeah it is what it is yeah absolutely and so that's um that's where a lot of I think my anxiety comes from I guess right and And I think that's not unusual (laughs) I think there's a lot most anxiety when we're talking just emotional um (laughs) or traumatic and problems is from like internal or external messages that we get and then we internalize them and then it creates anxiety and so I don't I think we've mentioned this in other podcasts but humans are very unique in how we perceive danger and that's what leads to like the feeling of anxiety is that our brains can make up a story that tell us we're in danger or something's not safe. And, and once our brains think that we feel that way. And so our body thinks it's actually happening to us. Mm. And so then we start the cycle of like, like your body's like reacting as if 
you're in a dangerous situation, like physically dangerous situation. And all we have to do is think about something and we're instantly yeah. there. And it really, and it really does come from like, cause humans have, I've, t- I've talked to you about this before, Sarah, but just the way that our brain forms, um, is we have like the, well, first of all, I call it like, I mean, the very like primitive brain, right. Mm-hmm. I call it like the lizard brain basically. Right. Is where, mm-hmm. and I mean, it even, it, cause it like even goes like even further down. Cause there's like the very internal structure of the brain, like your brain stem and some of like the, I'm trying to think I, it's been a while since I've taken anatomy class. I'm sorry, but some of the like functions in your brain that some of the, or some of the parts of your brain that function to regulate your body in um the very like basic ways so like food hunger thirst sleep all those things right and then those are like the unconscious part of their brain like you don't really you don't think about you don't think about those things as much right but then the next step up is the emotional brain and then from there like it gets to the higher level thinking and humans and some animals like you know some animals have some of that higher level like thought process like dolphins and monkeys and some like they can like kind of use some of that but our brains are really unique because they it's we evolved very much so to communicate really rapidly between those two and like make connections which is a survival thing right like if you see a scary animal you're gonna like you're gonna your brain is going to work to protect you from that. Mm -hmm. And um, then as we've like evolved in our society, we still have those safeguards in place. And it's not necessarily a scary animal that's coming at us. It's like the fear of being judged. (laughs) Right. Or, yeah, like you can have emotional trauma happen to you and it's not a physical danger, but your body is still going to react that way. So say you have a boss that, has yelled at you and said terrible things to you, you know, you can recreate that over and over and cause anxiety or, you know, and, and part of it's your, your monkey mind keeping you safe because you're like, we have to remember that this person's dangerous to our emotions. So we have to avoid this person or do whatever. So, yeah. And so just really, so again, like that's kind of like the root of where my anxiety was. And so just really quickly, I'll, I'll finish up this, um, my little blurb about my, where my anxiety is at currently. Um, but there was like kind of how you had talked about thinking that it was a, like a physiological thing that was wrong with you. There was that one, like one point, I think it was my, so I took five years for my undergrad um, and it was my, my first senior year, <laughs> it was a super senior. Um, so it was my first senior year. And I remember that I was first of all, in a lot of credits. Cause I, I mean, this is a whole other, this is a whole other topic. I feel like if you're, there's like this expectation that you should get done with college in four years. So I was already like, I think like in my senior year, I was like, I'm going to, I need to get done with my degree in four years. Cause that's like the expectation. And that's what society expects from you to do. But then I, 
my undergrad degree was in chemistry, which a lot of the, a lot of sciences, it's almost impossible to get done in four years unless Mm -hmm. you absolutely kill yourself by taking, you know, a million different classes at the same time. It's almost impossible. And I don't know why there's still this expectation that you, that you get done in four years. Like a lot of scholarships, even if you get, um, like at the University of Wyoming, they have like this big scholarship. It's only for four years. And so I was like, if I don't get it done in four years, how am I going to pay for it? Like, like freaking out thinking that I wasn't going to be able to afford to finish school even. Um, and yeah, I was like, I mean, I was just absolutely like killing myself. I was in like 19 credits, but then also working 30 hours a week Mm -hmm. because I was like, because I was just going to work 20 hours a week, but then my boss was like, Hey, you know, Jinsey, we have, um, this person is quitting and we need somebody to fill in an extra shift over the weekend. And, you know, you're just a really reliable person and you have been doing really good, even though you're like a new staff and we would just no pressure, but we would really love it if you could possibly pick up another shift and move up to 30 hours instead of just 20 hours. And I felt like I couldn't say no. So then I was like, okay, I'm at 30 hours now, which, um, was not a good idea taking like 19 credit hours. And then on top of that, I was also doing, um, an AmeriCorps service. So I had to get, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not a lot. It was only, I had to get 500 hours of community service done in a year or in like nine months, I guess it was nine months. Um, it seems like a lot. It was a lot. And I, I mean, and my, I was living with my, one of my best friends at the time. And I remember like, I was just, I was like, absolutely killing myself. And she's like, you need to, like, you need to chill out. And I was like, no, I can't like, I need to work so that I can afford to pay for an extra year if I need to go. But then I like also need to do this AmeriCorps thing because it's going to look really good on my college applications. But then like, cause I also, well, cause I, I wanted to go to med school. So I was like, it's going to look really good on med school applications and I need to have like these hours, but then I can't like not do any of these classes. Cause I need all these classes to go into a fifth year if I need, or if not, like, I mean, that's just, and that's just like how my brain always like works right it's just like thinking about like I'm I'm it's really hard for me to like stay in the present and I'm always thinking about further things and I'm always um like worrying about how my actions currently are going to affect things in the future to the point where I get so fixated on all the bad things that could happen if I don't do the right things right now if that makes right. sense um and so I went to the, I went to the student health center and, uh, I, the, you know, whenever you, I mean, pretty much whenever you go to the student health center, they give you like these two forms to fill out. One's the GAD seven. And then the other one is the PDHQ nine. Um, and so one is an anxiety score sheet and one's a depression mm-hmm. score sheet. And I remember like, t- like filling them out and thinking like, I was, I knew what they were because I, right. and so like, it's one of those things where it's like, like this weird, like self-fulfilling, not even a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, it's like, I knew enough to know what they, what they were asking me, but then I also knew too much. And I knew that if I filled them out 
very accurately to how I was feeling that I would be like diagnosed with something that I didn't like want to be diagnosed with because then I was like that's going to cause me more anxiety so I like very intentionally did not fill them out correctly (laughs) how I was feeling and um I mean the like the depression one because a lot of the depression questions did they do ask about like sleep and like fatigue and stuff like that and I filled that those ones out pretty correctly and she's like and the PA came in and she was like okay so you know you're you're being you're like pretty high on the depression um score do you feel depressed and I was like no I just can't sleep I just like I just can't sleep (laughs) that's it like I'm just here I just need you to tell me what I can what like what is going on with me with my body so that I can't like sleep because it's obviously something that's going on with my like physical body and not my brain (laughs) right and Right. And then she asked me, she was like, well, so how many, like how much coffee are you drinking? And this is when I, um, I was like, I don't know if I want to answer that because <laughs> it's a lot of coffee. And she's like, how many? I was like, oh, I think it's like nine or 10 cups of coffee. Oh, <laughs> and she was like, well, that's probably why you're not sleeping. And so then she's like, you need to cut out coffee. And then she gave me a quote unquote sleep pill. It was a PRQ or PN, PNR, what, where did PNQ come from? PRN, <laughs> like a as needed um, sleep pill. But then I like looked it up and it was an like an old school antidepressant. Mm. And I was like, that was just really frustrating to me um, that she basically like prescribed an antidepressant to somebody who said that they weren't depressed, but it was like a very, like very sneaky. Um, I, right. didn't, I didn't like that a lot. So anyways, I think that like looking back now, um, that was probably like the point when my uh, anxiety was the worst. And conversely, it was also the point when I like didn't talk to like anybody about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like people were like, it seems like you're doing a lot, Jincy. And I was like, no, I'm fine. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, this is just normal. Like I, I'm, I'm handling it. And I was right. not handling it to the point where I was like, I looked back at my transcript and I was like, I don't remember taking any of these classes. <laughs> like I blanked that whole semester mm. from my brain. Um, so anyways, that's, that's, that was a longer story than I was expecting, but that's, that's kind okay. of, that's kind of my experience with anxiety. And I think that now I have a little bit better handle on it. And um, a lot of, and we could talk about this as we go along in this podcast. Um, I think that where the, the things that I found helpful for coping with my anxiety was kind of the reframing and the restructuring of my thought process. Mm. And I think that that's been the most helpful piece to me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think we can cover like what works for us and what we've both read and know about. Um, so to me, there's kind of two levels of dealing with anxiety or depression. And the first is kind of like where I like to think of the word coping with or like trying to calm down, but then there's a second step. So again, I don't really believe that it's something you have to just like learn to live with. Like, oh, I have, it's not like I cut out, like I don't have a leg anymore. So I have to figure out how to deal with it. It's like, okay, you have anxiety, there's a physical component, 
how can we calm down our bodies enough to then like come up with a solution to healing it? And there's lots of modalities to do that with. Um, like you mentioned, reframe and some, but a lot of them are like almost more like a physical thing to do to address the physical part of it. Yeah. Like, and not because, um, I mean, there's a lot of evidence that things like physical exercise can help with anxiety. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking about that. Like we're talking about like medication where it's um, like, what is that's what you're talking about, right? Well, I was talking about other things too, but oh, okay. it can be medication. Um, it can be physical, like exercise, deep breathe, like some of the quicker mm-hmm. ones are like learning how to do deep breathing or alternate nostril breathing. Tapping is a really like, interesting. Like mindfulness. Thing. Mindfulness. Well, like, but doing actual physical things, like I don't know if you have studied much about tapping. Not, I mean, not like officially, I guess. Okay. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Like you're physically tapping places on your body that instantly physically calm down your body so that you're not in the fight or flight response. Yeah. Again, like not officially we, um, I mean, it was one of, that's kind of something that I would suggest to some of the clients that I used to work with, um, Mm. at the facility that I used to work at. And it was, I I guess it was more like changing, like changing physical sensations, right? Mm. Like if there was a kid, like there was a kid who had really bad, um, anxiety and depression. And, um, actually this is like multiple kids, not just one kid, like multiple kids that I've worked with have had like really bad, um, depression and anxiety. And, um, we would suggest like if they had like thoughts that, that were really overwhelming to like do it like the rubber band snap on their wrist oh. mm-hmm. or um, some of them like they would hold ice in their hand and yeah. like focus on like the ice so but I've never heard of like the tapping but the, I mean yeah, it's a similar like idea a lot of evidence to suggest like tapping certain places on your body while you think certain things like we can do a whole podcast on that, but it can instantly calm down your brain. Um, same thing with alternate nostril breathing, because it helps your brain, like the two sections of your brain, like re, um, reunite, if you will, <laughs> so that you can calm down. Cause oftentimes we get into one or the other side of our brains. Um, and then like you mentioned, medication sometimes can be effective. And so all of these things are, are like, you know, some people, like you mentioned exercise, like, oh, I'll go for a run and it calms me down. And these are really great things to do to start calming down. Yeah. Like in that moment, like making, making your feelings, I guess, more bearable. Mm-hmm but it's only the first step. So a lot of people stop there mm-hmm. and then that's where you then have to like live with your anxiety. Like, oh, I have all these coping mechanisms to help me calm down in the moment. But then we don't take it the step further of like, now that I'm calm, I'm gonna figure out how to get out of this. So people do that a lot with exercise. Like, well, this is just my coping mechanism. 
And of course, there's really bad coping mechanisms like drinking, drugs, yelling at people. Like those two are calming coping mechanisms. But yeah. Um, and sometimes the good ones can be come bad. Like if you like say exercise, like, well, you figured out that exercise does help you calm down. But then if that's your only coping mechanism, you start to do that all the time and you never get out of why you need that much coping mechanism. (laughs) Yeah. And if it, yeah, it becomes your only coping mechanism. It could get to the point where if you're not doing it safely, it can cause like serious like damage to your body. Like I, there's, um, somebody that I guess I'm like, I'm like acquaintances with him. He's like a friend of some of my friends, but he, I mean, I don't think that he was working out because of anxiety. I think that he just like, he was really into biking, but he, what is like rhabdomyelitis where his muscles like literally started like breaking down mm. um and like he, he almost had to like go to the hospital because it was so bad um Jeez. but so, it was because he was like doing it so much but right um so there's, yeah that piece but just like if we only if we stop at the coping mechanism and that gets to the underlying issue of why and you, like you need the coping mechanism to calm down mm-hmm. because you can't in that space, you're not going to be able to get down to the real reasons why, but it's yeah. the first part of the equation. Yeah. And I think that, um, the reason why I kind of brought up medications earlier, I think that like, I'm, I'm, I have like a very, I guess, complicated thought process around, um, psychotropic medications because I do think that there's there's a place for them and there's a like a they're a very useful tool Mm -hmm. for people who are going through um I guess like the therapy process or the process of dealing with their thoughts and feelings um and I think that like we said before it's, it's almost like sometimes they feel like a band-aid, right? Where it's like, right. oh, I'm feeling, you know, like, so the example with my PA before, well, here's a sleep pill for you. And then it's like, that's the fix is just a sleep pill. Right. You're addressing the symptoms and not yeah. the underlying issue. Yeah. And to be fair, I wasn't being super honest with her. <laughs> so that's not a great example. <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, okay, so if you're having a lot of like depressed thoughts or if you are feeling a lot of anxiety, we'll give you an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety pill. And mm-hmm. people just kind of sometimes stop there. Right. And again, I do think that it's, they're helpful because it gets you to that baseline where then you can kind of process what is going on. Like what's what's causing what's like triggering those thoughts what's causing those thoughts um and those feelings and if you just like continue to rely on psychotropic medications to get you like to that point where you are functional basically um you're not actually 
dealing and then stopping there you're not dealing with the right and you're not dealing with those like the the root cause or with the um with like the triggers and there's there could be like some pretty significant metabolic consequences to relying on um, antidepressants and anti-anxiety pills for too long yeah again and I'm not and that this is kind of why I mentioned that we weren't talking about things like bipolar and schizophrenia because those ones are different. <laughs> there yeah. are metabolic consequences to some of like like the schizophrenic medications. And I would not recommend that somebody try to cure their schizophrenia with talk therapy because it's like it can't like it can't be cured with right. <laughs> with talk therapy. And not that you can like cure depression or anxiety but you know what I mean like you can you can make it more bearable with through like talk therapy um yeah and so I think that like with with a lot of things um they can be used like medications can be used as a tool but they shouldn't be seen as like the cure I guess that that's what I'm trying to say with all this Well, it's the same, like we've talked about the medical community. We want to take a pill, um, allopathic medicine, which is like our modern day medicine. They have no interest. And this isn't a bash. It's just like the actual fact of allopathic medicine. There's no interest in like the cure or the cause. It's only to treat symptoms of whatever you have. And get money. And get money. (laughs) But even under its like most pure form there's no that's the definition of it it's like if your back hurts we give you a pain pill so that your back doesn't hurt it doesn't care to figure out why your back hurts so same thing like um with depression or anxiety or anything else it's anything like hypothyroidism it doesn't matter why it's just here's something to help you feel better and and again I can only talk about my own experience but I took an antidepressant for a few years in early adulthood and what I noticed was that I was definitely dealing with something emotional that I didn't know how to deal with I got on an antidepressant it certainly helped quote me not end up crying every day, mm-hmm. but it, no one ever suggested to me to like, okay, take this antidepressant. And once you're feeling better, you can start to deal with what you have to deal with. Or like, I feel like, I mean, did you have, did they, along with the antidepressant, did you get like a referral to a therapist? No. See, and that's, I think where like, there's the disconnect. I think that there's right. a big disconnect between, I think it's getting better, but there is still a disconnect between doctors who are prescribing (laughs) antidepressants and making sure that there's like that aftercare right because again they're only like we just want you not to be depressed so take this and I took it for a few years and what I remember most vividly is I could not I did not have any emotions I couldn't cry if I wanted to like it eliminated feeling almost like Hmm. um so yeah on paper it looked like I'm no longer depressed but it removed any potential to feel and so I you know over the years 
I've become extremely anti-medication for most things and especially this stuff, but um, because I don't think when I was on it, I would have thought I had a, something to deal with anyway. It was like, well, this, mm -hmm. because then I was so out of touch with my feelings because of the medication, I couldn't connect to something that was needed to be dealt with. And then there's all these warnings of like, well, you know, I think it was probably around the time I wanted to start having babies. Well, I didn't want to be taking this medication. And, mm. um, and it was kind of just like, well, good luck. Like, hopefully you won't crash into another depression. And another anecdotal story is, you know, I have an acquaintance that was on an antidepressant for a couple decades and she wanted to try to wean herself off. And, but she had no safety net in place of like, maybe there's a reason I needed an antidepressant all these years and I need to deal with that. So she weaned herself off and couldn't handle it, partly because her body had grown too addicted to the antidepressant or dependent maybe. or dependent. And I mean, it was either that or like, the problem still existed whether you're on a medication or not and yeah well and I think that like you never dealt with it so you can take yourself off the medication but then you're going to have to deal with the problem well I think that like in in a lot of cases um our bodies like to stay at homeostasis right mm -hmm. when we get used to it doesn't it doesn't like to have these big changes or um like, I guess, stick to the status quo. <laughs> yeah. If that, if that makes more sense, right? Like, um, and so it makes sense to me that something like that would happen where, and I mean, even getting onto, even getting onto medications, right? Because again, like, I do think that medications are a really useful tool and for things like mood disorders, um, it is like they are essential for, people to function like if you have a mood disorder like bipolar um or like a unspecified mood disorder they are like miracle <laughs> they are like miracle drugs and along with that it takes a while you know it takes a while of you being on those medications for number one for stuff to start working and then number two for your body to recognize it as something that's like good or something that's better for you. Like there's um, a couple pills, a couple of medications where you're supposed to like titrate up onto them. And then they like tell you when you're doing that, that you may feel worse before you start feeling better. Mm. If that makes sense. And so it makes sense to me that who are, who are you talking about? Sorry. An unspecified person. An, in my unspecified, an unspecified person in your life. Right. Um, whoever this person was, it makes sense to me that it's, was the opposite way that, you know, their body was so used to being at this certain level and then trying to come back down off of it without having the support, I guess, mm -hmm. of, of coming down off of it. It makes sense to me that that was happening. Right. And so she, they ended up just going right back on it. Cause it seemed like I can't function without this medicine. And now I've taken it for so long, my body won't do what it's supposed to, mm -hmm. but 
there's a lot of missing pieces to that story of like and I can understand like wanting to get off of it too because like again there's a lot of metabolic consequences um yeah like antidepressants can cause weight gain in a lot of people and Mm -hmm. some people they can cause like really bad mood swings so it makes total sense to me that like right it's like, like you said they're not even if I could get on board with it it's like they're still not meant to be like oh you have this you have this thing here's the treatment for the rest of your life well and interestingly you know there's with um something like schizophrenia I think this one's I think this one often um because it's kind of like the the foil to a lot of the stuff that we're talking about like again schizophrenia is not something that can be cured by talk therapy or really addressed at all by talk therapy it is something that we really rely on psychotropic medications to um solve the issue (laughs) right and along with that there's some like there's a really high number of people who um what's the word I'm looking for are not med compliant with their schizophrenia medication because it dulls their ability to feel actual emotions right and so there's a really high percentage of people who aren't compliant with their schizophrenia medication because it it doesn't make them they're like I don't feel like a real human when right. I'm on when I'm on these um and it I don't know like it's just it's just really it's just really interesting um to think about but okay we talked about medication for a while um so what can we do Sarah <laughs> so again the first step is calming yourself down physically with anxiety, but then there has to be the second step of getting to the root cause. And again, you know, we've already covered, like there could be lots of root causes and there absolutely could be a physical root cause. Like one of my favorite things to track down nutritionally is there's a lot of evidence that if you're deficient in certain amino acids, you can have anxiety, depression, mood stuff. Um, Usually there's some physical things too. And the cool thing about amino acid therapy is that it works really quickly if that's the problem. So within a day or two of taking an amino acid, which is a building block to proteins, um, you'll feel differently. So it's a very direct way that you can tell. But aside from that, um, you know, talk therapy sometimes works, but there's specific ones that I think people respond to better. It's not like when I hear, like you say, talk therapy, I picture like you go to someone, you just blurt out all your like, Oh, and then this happened, this happened. And someone's Mm -hmm. just there to hear you, which can be helpful. But then there's certain therapies where you're learning how to process your thoughts and judgments about those things. Yeah. And I guess that when I say talk therapy, I'm, I'm thinking more along the lines of um, like CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, Mm -hmm. Um, DBT as well, but DBT has a pretty significant, like, or significant, that's not the right word, a pretty specific usage. Um, And so I think of like CBT, which is really like breaking down it kind of it's like it's like a cbt cycle like that's how like we cycle through um 
it, 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 for some reason a lot of um I think that we're kind of going away from this but a lot of like a lot of like CBT books um talk about the anger cycle but mm. I just call it the emotion cycle because it's literally any like any emotion can go through this but it's basically connecting how your thoughts feelings physical sensations in your body and then behaviors are connected mm-hmm. by like a trigger or something so it's like right. what's the situation that you're in like how like what were your thoughts and feelings about it and it really it really does connect them and um the point of like cbt talk therapy is to figure out like where in that cycle first of all you realize like it's like this light bulb moment of oh gosh i'm going through like like i know what's going to happen now um so let's say for example i don't want to use anger because i think that anger is an overused one but like anxiety for example so um say that i'm going to use like a a test as a trigger if i know that i'm going to like be i'm i'm going to be like taking a test some of my initial thoughts about that test are like, oh my gosh, like this test is super important. Like if I don't, if I don't do well in this test, I'm not going to be, it means that I'm not a good person. It means that I'm not a smart person. Mm -hmm. It means I'm not a, I'm not a productive member of society. It means I'm never going to get into, you know, a PhD program. It means I'm never going to, you know, like all those like waterfall thoughts that I talked about before. And that's how, that's how, that's honestly how my, my cycle goes. Right. I'm like, oh my gosh, like all these things are going on in my mind about what's going to happen if I don't do well on this test and that, and just, just having the test is the trigger. Right. And then the feeling that I get with, from that is like a lot of anxiety. Um, and then the physical sensations in my body, like how I feel those emotions. I don't sleep. I, um, get like really bad headaches. That's another physical sensation for my anxiety. I, um, get like jittery. I get like, my heart starts to like pound more, um, stuff like that. Right. Like that's how I feel anxiety in my body. And then my behavior, right. Maybe I drink more coffee so I can study more. Uh, maybe I don't study at all because I'm avoiding the trigger. Mm-hmm stuff like that. And so talk therapy in the way that I'm talking about is trying to figure out where in that cycle I can like make a change that will stop the cycle from continuing on. Right. Which is a great, um, uh, I always lose my words <laughs> like point to point out. Cause I think a lot of those like CBT dbt um right now i'm doing a workbook with have you heard of act acceptance and tolerance um yeah except acceptance and commitment therapy that's what it is but it's they're all kind of similar like separating your thoughts and the judgments around them and like it's kind of it's very similar but a little like they all take different angles but like oh here's my thoughts can I step away from my thoughts and kind of like hmm. get a step back are these thoughts helpful or not helpful yeah. um accepting real like acceptance is a big thought like this 
the word acceptance kind of connotes a lot of things like, oh, I should just be okay with what's happening versus, okay, I can't change what's happening right now. And once I accept that, how can I act differently? That kind of stuff that Mm. to me, that's a big one with like a diagnosis of like, like, oh, I have anxiety or I have depression. Like we can either stay in resistance um, or we can accept it. And people often though, instead of like accepting it and then figuring out how to move forward, like, okay, I do have that. How do I get out of that? Mm-hmm. Then the, the flip side of that is like, well, I guess that's what I have. Yeah. That for me. I think of like a meme. I saw it a couple, it was like a couple years ago, but I sent it to, um, I sent it to like everybody that I knew because I thought it was hilarious, but it was like a flow chart of like, okay, this thing is really stressing me out. Can you control it? Yes or no. If you can control it, then cool. Do what you need to do to control it. If you can't control it, cool. You can't do anything to control it. And it was like, I think it was like a Twitter meme. And somebody said, is this what it feels like to have, like, is this what healthy, normal people feel like? And yeah, like feels so weird to have that mindset of like, okay, is this, is this thought, I guess the way that I view it is more, is this a rational thought to have? Right. Right. So going back to that, that CBT cycle that I was like talking about those thoughts that I have, like those waterfall thoughts that I have. Sometimes I have to kind of like stop and think like, is this an actual like rational thought to have? Mm -hmm. Is this, is this one test going to actually. Right. Is this even true? Is this even true? Yeah. It's like, is, is it true that doing bad on this one test is going to drastically impact the rest of my collegiate career? Right. Like, no, no. Or another way to look at it, like the act would look at it is, is this a helpful or unhelpful thought? Like sometimes yeah. those negative thoughts still can be helpful. Cause then, well, then I could, yeah, it isn't an important test. So can I do anything about it? Well, I yeah. could study more, um, or exactly. ver- versus like, I'm the worst person in the world. If I like, you don't even have to talk yourself mm. out of believing it, but just being like, well, that's still not going to help me to think that way. Absolutely. And I think about that a lot, again, with like someone getting diagnosed with something like you can take that three different ways of like, refuse to believe it's true. Like I did. (laughs) You can accept it. And then, oh, now that I know what I have, how can I, I could start researching and I could figure out how to deal with it. And I can talk to these people and I can like search out all these different ways to cure myself or whatever or you can accept it and then accept it as like a death sentence yeah like like, well I guess this is just who I am mm -hmm. you know um and so it's interesting though again going back to kind of the the talk therapy and like maybe this sounds bad but I've I've had several different therapists in my life which I shouldn't be ashamed of, but a lot of times you just have to find, it takes a while to realize like someone's worthwhile talking to or not, but I wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how many I've tried that 
literally only do the talk therapy part uh, which of like I go and bent and then they try to just make me like like acknowledge that it sucks which for some people that's that can be helpful it can be helpful at first well and again like I think that for different for different people maybe that's all maybe that's all that they need maybe they need somebody just to be like a sounding board right I think most people need that but if it doesn't come with the education of getting out of a situation or thinking about it differently or learning how to stop your thoughts or whatever it's like I think it's only a piece but it ends up being what is offered a lot of times well and I do think that I don't want to disparage anybody who is going to be in my future field because again I'm um I have ambitions I guess to become a therapist I do think that there's some programs out there that don't necessarily teach the second the second part of that right right which is like because it is good to understand where people are coming from and understand like what is going on for them and then like because you have to have a relationship like right like a good relationship and I'm not saying like you absolutely need that person to validate what you're feeling to be like normalizing it or yeah that's kind of a hard situation but if it doesn't come with that second like learning piece like yeah. that's when people end up in therapy for years and years and years. Cause then they talk a lot about this with like, especially couples therapy. Mm. If you end up in this routine where you just go and you hash out the last fight you had every week, you will, I can guarantee you will stay in therapy forever. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like this idea of diminishing returns. And so like you're just you're- like, well, let's just process what happened instead of like, okay, that happened now, here's tools to like, what can you do differently next time? Mm -hmm. And because it often comes down to like, it has nothing to do with like hashing something out. It doesn't have to do with like the specific fights. It's something about the, something about the relationship. Or like how each individual person is thinking. Yeah. Like you mentioned, like if you have a fight and one person's having a judgment, like, oh, this must mean this. That's when, if you're not working on that piece, you can just rehash it every day for years and years and years, and you'll never get anywhere. Yeah. And um, again, I think it comes back to kind of like this idea of the status quo. If you, just in, just in general, I feel like, and this is, this isn't necessarily true all the time. I think it's, I think it's something that can be true though. (laughs) Um, if you're, if you're feeling like, like therapy is not something that is going to be comfortable like all the time. Mm -hmm. I feel Mm -hmm. like if you're actually going to grow, it feels uncomfortable and I, I view it as kind of the same, like, I guess a good analogy that I think of is if you're going to, if you're going to the gym and you're trying to get stronger, there may be times when you go to the gym and it's like, a, it's a really hard workout. 
mm-hmm. and you hurt the next day. And I think a lot of people would say like, okay, like if I'm hurting, like if, like if I did a whole bunch of squats and now my butt hurts, that means my butt is getting stronger. Right. <laughs> right. I think that that's the mentality that we need to have around therapy, that therapy can be uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. that uncomfortableness is where you learn and grow. Yeah. I think the big difference is if you're using talk therapy to like, again, venting, we've talked about a lot. Um, but if it's always outwardly focused on like, if this person stopped doing this or if at work, I didn't have this to deal with, or if I didn't deal with Mm -hmm. this, and I just need to get it all out. If you're not able to use therapy to inter- like internally reflect and do your own work about the messages you're getting yeah. from those situations, then therapy is not going to help you grow. Yeah. So like using the example that you just said about work, it's like, okay, if, if only this person at work wasn't such a terrible person, I could do better. Like what, what about that situation is causing you so much distress and is it something that you can control or is it something that you can reframe? Right. Cause spoiler alert, it never has to do with anyone else, but you. Yeah. Um, which was a very, it's a very hard lesson. (laughs) Yes. Cause it's like, no, but this person or this situation is causing me distress, which it can be, but it's, it's either an internal message you're giving yourself. Or if it truly is that, what, why aren't you removing yourself from that situation? Or like, it doesn't mean you can do enough internal work to just put up with something like, well, why are you still putting up with this? If, you know, if it's really that bad or something. And so like, you know, again, like I'm just thinking about my own journey through kind of dealing with my anxiety. And again, like a lot of my anxiety and we can probably, we can probably end soon. (laughs) Um, The kids are like, mom, are you ever coming out of your room? Never. Um, (laughs) But, you know, just thinking about like my own, my own journey through anxiety, again, like a lot of my anxiety, like the root of my anxiety is feeling like, I'm not meeting some potential that some like, I don't know, authority someplace has put on me, which is just dumb because it's just me. Like I'm the authority. Right. Um, Yeah. It really doesn't matter if there's an actual thing out there that. No. Or not. And again, like a lot of like, a lot of like those, um, and I mean, I don't want to get like too far into, I've done a lot of like self-reflecting over the past couple of years about like where my actual anxiety comes from. And um, again, a lot of the thoughts that were in my, that are in my head is that I'm not meeting some potential or um, that my self-worth is based off of how good I do in school or at right. work. And, um, one thing that I've really tried to work on, especially when it comes to like school, because again, I absolutely like, like just way overworked myself in my undergrad and it wasn't even really helpful, like doing all that extra like time and putting in all that 
much extra effort there were like like the semester that I was telling you about that um I was like working 30 hours plus like doing like 500 hours of community service plus like 19 credits and all that stuff right I didn't do I did like very average <laughs> in in school right. and I did average I mean not even average like I mean I did average in school but like at work like I wasn't actually going like meeting the potential that I put on myself, which is then causing like more stress. And so the thing that I, that really helped me get away from that mindset and that I've been really intentional about um, in my first semester of grad school is really thinking about whether or not it, it makes sense for me to be so obsessive about my grades mm. that I'm, making myself I'm not I'm not taking care of myself right? right like I used to be and which is so dumb because I mean my first like my first couple semesters of my undergrad I did I did really well I got like 4.0s because it was like like pretty like it was like introductory classes but then once it got into like higher level classes I was like oh my gosh these are actually really hard and I have to actually work at them and I wasn't getting I didn't end school with a 4.0 and mm-hmm. I told myself like, going into my grad school, I was like, I'm not going to be so obsessive about grades that I make myself sick. I'm going to do, I'm going to do my best and I'm going to do what I'm capable, like the best that I'm capable of. And mm-hmm. then I'm not going to fixate on everything that I did wrong or everything that I could have done, you know? So when midterms came around this last semester, I didn't do super well on, um, I did like above average for the class, but I didn't do like super duper well. And mm-hmm. I didn't sit and fixate on it. I was like, okay, so what can I do differently? Now I know. Well, like, you released your judgment about what it meant. Exactly. Like I was like this, you know, not getting not getting a 90% (laughs) on these tests doesn't make me a bad person and it doesn't make me a dumb person. Right. It make like, I'm just a person just in general. (laughs) Right. And, and you can still learn from an experience or want to do better or, and decide that it's important or not. But if if you remove the judgment of what it means, like, oh, this must mean I'm blah, 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 or. Yeah. And I didn't fixate it, fixate on it. I was like, or even like a paper, like I didn't do super well on one of my first papers. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to like, I, I didn't do as well as I wanted to. That's okay. Cause I can't go back and change it. So what's the point of me getting super upset about it if I can't go back and change it and then using it as a learning experience saying like, okay, so now I know what this professor is looking for. Right. Like this was an opportunity for me to learn what I should be focusing on in the future. Right. And it's a great example because it's not also like trying to talk yourself out of something being important. Like it can still be like, well, yeah, I think I need to take this more seriously or I could change this. You're not like forcing yourself to not care or Mm -hmm. like, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't care that I'm not getting good grades. Like you don't have to change that. You could still be like, well, I decided it is important to me, but how can I 
look at this differently and what can detach. I do? What can I do? And and once we remove the judgment of what it means about ourselves, then we can move forward. So absolutely. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap up. Um, I don't know if we solved anything today. I don't know if we need to solve anything, do we? Okay. <laughs> Again, going back to this like patriarchal idea that we have to solve everything. Um, I think that, you know, again, I guess I just want to stress again that we're not professionals. <laughs> yes. Um, it's just, you know, this is something that we are both very interested in, I think, and we've both done a lot of work in, and this is just our our example, I guess. Sounds good. Well, until next time. Until next time. Maybe we should do a um, a wine podcast or something. I think oh, I no. Think. We also have a special guest coming at the end of the month, right? Yes. yes. Um, yeah, we'll see what she wants to discuss, but it'll be empaths and um, it's actually my guru, Honor Janetsky, and she's going to talk about motherhood and overwhelm and how empaths can get sucked into that and what to do about it. So I'm pretty excited to have her. Also, we, I'm going to, we don't have to talk about this, but there's a, there's a very funny um, empaths trend on TikTok right now mm. um, that I feel like I, I will start the next podcast by talking about. Um, okay. So I think good. it's very funny. Um, but yeah, so as always, make sure that you like, subscribe, share, review, um, our podcast because again we would love to reach more people um, and I guess we will talk to y'all later all right sounds good okay bye bye Ooh.